welcome to the show, All right. bro. You are a VIP, I want to say, because I literally had to pick you up from the airport, uh, feed you lunch, and then bring you in here, escort you in here. I'm honestly uh, uh, honored. Uh. Okay, okay, you should be. You should be freaking honored. <laughs> Introduce Nicholas, Nicholas Lai. No, Dr. Nicholas Lai uh, on my show today. Uh, you're my closest friends. Thank you for playing that role in my life. Thanks. And I think that we share a lot of similar values in, in, in our life, which we will go into later. Um, but and these are these are the things that I want to talk about. Right? I think a lot of a lot of um, our generation, we don't talk about a lot of these things where where, you know, it's kind of cliche to talk about. It's like, oh, I'm struggling with this, the issues that I have in life and all that. Because it's kind of, we're not at the, we're not we're not that woke yet. We don't want to share with people like some of the issues or the struggles we have. But I wish that this platform, we can kind of discuss things like that to hopefully maybe kind of inspire our peers to also, in a way, have the courage to kind of open up as well. I don't want to go into too much of preamble, but I was thinking to start with this question here. Uh, not so much question, but a statement. And it's something you shared with me the other day. All right. Uh, we both haven't been lifting. Oh, And right. you, you yeah. say, your one statement that you say that really just um, characterizes who you are is you feel like you're shrinking. <laughs> yeah, in just two weeks, right? Yeah. And one thing I want to ask is, uh, why, why, is uh, why is lifting weights so important to you? Uh, <clears throat> Put I mean, you on the spot be, there, bro. Yeah, to be to be frank, right? My yeah. first lifting experience is actually from you. You are the one who brought me into the world of working out, um, getting fit. But honestly, I feel that everything is a lie. Like essentially, we go into working out is to <laughs> basically look good, uh, make a, <laughs> to feel good about ourselves, and. To actually uh, admire our own self while we look into the mirror. So I guess me working out is just to make, just to feel good and to feel proud of myself. Uh, to actually achieve something in life where you are actually proud of. Uh, if you can achieve it, uh, I guess. That's why I'm, I went into working out. Uh. Or you can say to get a bod better body to actually attract the opposite sex. Uh. And you have successfully done that, right? Because you are, you know, wearing your ring now. You are engaged slash married. So, yeah. I just, is that a secret? Is that supposed to be a secret? No, 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 no. Yeah. But, I mean, the irony is my my fiance actually hates it. Uh. Hates what? Me working out, to be honest. She's like, oh, you're getting too big. Oh, uh, I, I don't like the muscular body. You should actually get thinner. And how much influence does that have on your your decision to work out? I guess it, it I sort of reduced my frequency working out, but at the end of the day, it's still it's still up to myself uh, because, like I say, working out is to make yourself feel feel good, yeah, make yourself feel better, and it's actually a source of uh, a stress releasing activity for me. Uh, I guess okay, you know when you go into the gym um, after a long day of work, especially like what uh, Brad just told me. I work as a medical officer. Um, our work can go crazy. We can sometimes we can work up to thirty six hours. Mm. So you just want to have your own time to go into your own zone where you just go into the gym, go all in, smash the workout, <laughs> and actually forget about everything. 
And then at the day when you look into the mirror and you actually feel good about working out. You know, you're you're the most uh you're the most you know people always say doctors give kind of lame exercise advice and fitness advice. <laughs> you're the most bro doctor that I know. La. And I think that that is super important. La. Otherwise doctors say things like, Oh, you should never put weights on your spine, you should never load your spine, you should never squat with your knees past your toes. Uh, but I think practical experience is very important and that's something that you offer. La. Hence, I sometimes still ask you for like advice on anatomically what's safe and what's not, right? But you mentioned you mentioned working out um, working out after a long day of work. But mm-hmm. I, as I understand, maybe before the lockdown, you had a you had a really insane workout routine. I know you work you wake up you have your call at eight o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. You are going to do, to the hospital to serve. Yes, and you tell me you wake up at six o'clock to yes. go to the gym. Uh, yeah, actually, I I do work out. In the morning, uh, I wake up around five thirty. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, by six I'll be in the gym. Mm-hmm. By seven I will finish my workout. So it's actually a one hour workout. Yeah. And then by seven thirty I'll be all, all bathed, clean, and I have my uh work uh my shake post workout shake. Yeah. If I have extra time, I'll try to sneak in a meal or two. Um, I'm actually lucky because my hospital is actually quite near to the place I stay. Mm. So by eight, I'll be in the hospital. Yeah. So the reason why I'm doing this is because you you never know. I mean, my field of work. Uh, sometimes you uh, extend your working hours. You know, after five, it's it's quite common to work till six or seven to or eight sometimes. Or when there's an emergency operation where we have to go in, even 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 when I'm not on call, mm. so I have to enter the OT and somebody can extends up to 8, 9, or 10 p.m. Mm. And I can't risk it. Uh, and in a sense, I actually like working out. It's one of my hobby. I, I know how 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 lame it sounds, uh, having working out as a hobby. But it's talking, talking to a fellow bro here as so well. Yeah, it so it's a good thing that I can complete it first thing in the morning. So that's a sort of motivation. I, doesn't want, I, I don't want to miss out my workout. I really have this well... I will say well planned schedule my my brain for the week or oh, on this day I'm gonna work out what on this day I'm gonna work out what and I wouldn't want to miss it. So if I miss it then I feel that I lose the chance in not having a proper routine, I guess. Then that is very interesting to me because it is um it's one thing I struggle with personally when I hear you say that, right? Is the fact that I understand how important it is to work out. I understand how important having muscle mass is, protects your joints, eating well. Um, I mean, all that stuff, right? Building more muscle is actually scientifically, medically proven to be a health positive and a health negative. But what if, or when do you know, or when does that become an obsession? Because I had reached a point where, I was at a point where I know it was, it was uh, damaging because I feel like if I don't work out, I'm, I'm a lesser version of myself. Uh. And we talked about this. That's why I wanted to bring it up. You said that I feel like I'm shrinking. That's so you and that's so me because not doing bicep curls for one week is not a big deal, bro. But it is to us. Yeah. And I have my own defense mechanisms to fight against this lesser self of mine. Uh, how about you? I, I think I struggle in this uh, aspect as well. Uh. But then, in the end of the day, at the end of the day, is the key to all this is just moderation. 
uh, as as uh, Brad mentioned just now, whether um, we should squat beyond our toes, whether we should have more weights, and whether it will affect our spine, right? Actually, it goes down to moderation. We shouldn't just go all out or increase the weight excessively without knowing the basis of any training uh, algorithm and all. So, um, for what uh, Brad has actually asked me, how you do I You can call me Gun, you know. You always call gun. me Gun, yeah, okay? In case yeah. no one knows. Uh, our child, my childhood name is called Gun. gun. I'll explain it later if it's more comfortable for you to call me that. Yeah. So, how, how do I cope with it is... I'm not entirely sure whether I, I I cope with this well. I still have that kind of uh, feeling where Gan just mentioned uh, where you, you feel you feel weird not working out or you you feel weird missing out a couple of sessions. But eventually, it's just the key is just moderation. Uh, you 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 can't you can't force yourself. You can't get stressed yourself if you miss a workout too. Because if you miss a workout too and you get stressed over it or you get overworked by it, then the point of working out will be totally missed. Right? The yeah, first yeah, point yeah. of me saying I go into workout is because you want to feel good. You want to look good. But then if you let this sort of thing affects your state of mind eventually, then it's like a double-edged sword in the end. You don't work out, you feel bad. Then in the end, it doesn't... Doesn't serve his purpose. Yeah, it doesn't serve his purpose. To a certain extent, uh, as you say, lah, a healthy an obsession, a healthy habit becoming becoming an obsession is dangerous in itself. So uh that's why I have this relationship with caffeine. Mm-hmm. There's research, tons of research showing how beneficial caffeine is. And and off air, we're just talking about your caffeine intake and your your fiance's caffeine intake, which is mad, I want to say. <laughs> uh but I know caffeine is good for me, but I know that at one point in my life, I was using it as a crutch to function. Mm-hmm. And literally, I, I just one day randomly said, okay, I'm going to try not to use caffeine. I wake up at 7 in the morning. I go work at 7.45. And by 8.15, right, I literally felt I was going to ping sun. So I knew at that point that despite caffeine being a mirac- miraculous drug for all the antioxidant benefits, caffeine helps you to raise your metabolism and blah, blah, blah. It was... It was a, I was obsessed over it and mm-hmm. I had to cancel it. I had to stop using it or at least go cold turkey and see how my body responds. And I suppose what I'm trying to say is uh, I suck at moderation, but I know I need to have some form of um, safety net in, in a way so I don't kill myself. Uh, which, which brings me to my next point I'll ask you because this is something that I realized I developed only very recently. Mm-hmm. Recently was last year. Because last year the pandemic happened, I couldn't work. And I spent a lot of time in the stock market, uh, as was as as you are, as yep. you did, and I suppose as our cameraman Gabriel as well, uh, fellow stock market uh, stock market friend. I freaking logged into my Kananga account easily ten times per hour to check the stock price, uh, look at the price movement, and, and see what I can do. And tell me about tell me about your own habits in, when it comes to investing, because I know at one point you tell me that okay, we need to stop doing this. So, uh, it it goes. I mean, it applies to everywhere. The, the word that I said just on moderation, and mm. the next important word that we should know is insight. Uh. So as long as we have this insight, right, where we know that what we are doing is wrong, but we can't control it yet, I think it's kind of a first step in towards controlling uh, this obsession that we are doing in the end. Uh. Mm. So I guess everyone will have a face. Uh. There's no matter how much you control 
you will have a face like your mom will have a face where she will go all out in some alkaline water or some essential oil. So it's it's the same to us, you know, where when we first started investing, we were locked. I, I did the same thing. I locked onto my account day and night just to look on the graph or the, the price of the share. Top growth. We made up in the top growth. Yeah. And then we've been talking about it every day. But end of the day, I, I tell myself, okay, this is not good at all. This is taking up too much of my time. I, I have my work. I have actually so much other things to do. Even though you, you may just lie down and do nothing, but it's still an unhealthy obsession where if you know that it's an unhealthy obsession, I guess you will eventually fall. You must tell yourself, you must have this insight that it's wrong. So it's a good starting point where you, if you have the insight, it's better than people who doesn't have the insight or they don't tell that themselves that it's wrong. They don't even have the initiative to actually correct it. So for me, I start to tell myself, okay, I have to limit myself. I only can see five minutes of this talk every two hours in the beginning. Then from there, I actually move on. Like, okay, now every three hours, I have to only see five minutes. Now every four hours. So you sort of limit yourself, but you still you still can have this pleasure of checking out, but not fully taking yourself off it. Mm. And then you can slowly, slowly win, it, win off it, I guess. Okay, okay. Yeah. So good advice. Mm -hmm. um, I want to share the most recent success I have had with um, not logging into my stock portfolio every half an hour was when I filmed my first podcast here. Mm -hmm. I say at like 9.45 to 10, right? And after that, so ding, ding, dong, dong, do the whole thing all the way through till lunch, 2.30 like that. And I'm like, oh shit, I didn't even think about, hey, uh, what price is uh, Dufu at now? What price is uh, whatever it is, Supermax at now? And things are okay. Mm -hmm. and I went in, hey, no, nothing, no shit didn't happen, right? The market yep. didn't crash. I'm still okay. Things are still okay. And yeah, that was uh, my first realization that it really doesn't matter that much though, whether or not I check the portfolio or, or, or track the movements, five cents, 10 cents or every few hours. There's a correlation between our obsession with lifting, improving ourselves. And you can argue that improving ourselves means improving our portfolio. And a portfolio improvement means better net worth and better wealth, better future, right? Mm -hmm. But to a certain extent, I think that controlling the market is not something we can do. So uh, <laughs> my long ramble that I have no idea uh, what I just said basically says that I, 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 it's a reminder to myself to not control what I can't control. Yeah. True. So that's, True. that's what I want to share. Uh, okay, there's a lot of, a lot of ways I have uh, planned for this podcast today mm -hmm. to go. But as I mentioned to you, I don't want it to be rigid or fixed. But one thing you mentioned earlier, I just want to ask you before we go into the meat of this podcast, a lot of um, things that have been shared through, well, let's call it WhatsApp University. So you said something about alkaline water mm -hmm. and we've been told to drink warm water. We've been told to, we've been told to do a lot of weird stuff uh, by uh, people who, who are, we expect to, to have known better, right? So I have a few questions that I've always been unsure about. Is it wrong to drink cold water after a hard workout? Actually, um, we have a core body temperature mm. of around 36.7 to 37.4. That's the average for human beings. Huh? Mm. So, especially your stomach, where 
it will be the first kind of a pouch where after you eat or you drink, it will reach your stomach first. So your core body temperature will be always 38. You know? And I feel that no matter what you drink or what you take, when you reach your core, mm. it will sort of, sort of a symbiosis. It will just assimilate into the body temperature of 38 degrees. So no matter what hot, warm or cold water you take, once it enters your body after a few minutes or two, it will still become 38 degrees. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter whether it's cold or hot. In the end of the day, it's going to be 38 degrees. I mean, 37 degrees or 38 now, the core temperature. Yeah. So I don't know where people actually get that idea from. It, it's sort of a myth, I guess, but I don't, I don't think it, it, it really changes anything. So it's, it's not, because what, what my belief is, mm -hmm. and I have no idea where this belief came from, a lot of it could have been just repetition or someone tell you something <laughs> often enough, you kind of believe it, is that um, you shouldn't drink cold water after a, after a run, after an intense workout or coming in from a very hot place because it is clashing against your, your body's current state la, because after workout and after coming running, you're in a very warm temperature, right? So, based on what you're telling me, the body just naturally regulates everything. Yeah, yep. our body is always in the state of homeostasis, uh, which yeah. is regulation to keep it at optimum working condition. Actually, if any increase or any decrease in your temperature, your body will actually cease to function. That's why, that's why it's like when you have fever, when you have a illness, or when you get when you get sick, right? Your body will try to increase the temperature to around. 38.5, maximum 41 degrees. Why they're doing this is because a lot of bacteria or viruses, they actually uh, works in the premium temperature of our body core temperature, which is around 37 degrees. So at 37 degrees, all these viruses and bacteria, they, they grow the most, the most optimum. So our body increases our temperature to around 41 degrees is to try to stop their production, their growth. Yeah. So... This is why uh, that, that small range of temperature is really important in uh, human, I mean, our life, where if there's any change in it, right, we can actually cease to exist. You know? If it's more than 41 degrees, you can actually die. That's why it's like hypothermia. I've heard of it where if it's too hot or heat strokes, people can actually die because of it, because the body was just stopped to function. Why, I'm, why am I saying this is because what I'm trying to say is... Um, our bodies at work to maintain the temperature to around 37 degrees where a glass of cold water or two cups of cold water, right, will be impossible to change your body temperature. Yeah. So it's not that easy to, to actually change your body temperature, to be honest. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I needed to hear that. <laughs> and I think a lot of uh, boomer listeners, if any, probably should kind of take note on that, right? Yeah. Okay, one last, uh, and again, this is something I want to ask much later, but I'm really damn curious. Uh, uh, and I want to say, I realize I'm talking very fast. Of course, I took one sip of your coffee. And that's just how sensitive I am to coffee now, having not taken it for so long. Uh, I will try to slow down my talking. How about herbal tea? Because we've always been told that if you feel like your body's getting warm, temperature's getting warm, feeling like a fever's coming. And I, I, when I, even when I say this, I know how illogical it sounds. But 
again, due to whatever it is, right, repetition uh, of constantly being told to down herbal tea, cane, sugar cane, or whatever it is, I don't even know what I'm drinking, honestly, uh, to help you to kind of fix the problem or prevent it from happening. Where, where do you stand on this? Give me your honest take. Um, because all these herbal teas and I, I will talk a little bit about Chinese medicine, right? Mm. The basis of all this Chinese medicine or herbal tea, right, is they contain a certain amount of ingredients, which, to be honest, I do not know what they contain. Okay. But herbal tea might, some, some herbal tea might have some ingredient in them which may help in lowering, I mean, keeping you cool or keeping you healthy. So I, I'm not an expert on this topic where I wouldn't know how good it is, uh, how true is it or how much of a myth it is. But as long as it works right, I think there is some basis to it. Uh. Because like, uh, for example, Chinese medicine, where it has been consumed for thousands of years by the Chinese, I think it's more of, uh, what you call that, trial and error for them where for a certain illness they have this um, sort of ingredient or some some herbs that may actually help in the ailment or illness and they just try and error so they, they know that for fever you have to take this for flu you have to take this and over the over thousands of years they actually know which is which which is which so uh, in China, they actually have like uh, universities teaching Chinese medicine and uh, studies ongoing on all these herbal products and herbal medication. Where uh, I hope it will be more regulated. Uh. The issue with all these Chinese meds and tri Chinese traditional medicine or herbal tea is in Malaysia, it's not regulated. So you wouldn't know what you put into your body. Where some instances where uh, KKM, our Ministry of Health, actually found that some uh, Chinese medicine have high amount of steroids. This is why when someone is ill or when they have cancer, where they go for Chinese medicine, which is the unregulated one, when they have all these um, Chinese meds which have high amount of steroids, it actually makes you feel better for the first few months. It actually uh, suppresses your immune system. It makes you feel good. Then people will actually think, oh, this Chinese medicine is actually working. But uh, it's actually not. Uh, in the long run, it's bringing more um, harm, harm to you in the end. Uh. Yeah, so I have not much comment on all, uh, your question that you just asked, but I feel that if it works for you or if you go for a regulated Chinese sensei and it works for you, then it's fine. But if you go for the unregulated one or you don't know what you're putting to your body, I, I, I'm just, I suggest that you try to look into more of it, study more, research more on the internet. I mean, that's the best way to research um, stuff nowadays, right? Everything's online. At least as a start, I assume, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to add on to what you said about uh, Chinese medicine, mm -hmm. I I have an aversion towards it, I gotta say. Uh, and yeah, you know, you know, my dad has cancer, so he's, uh, he's, he's trying to fight through it now. Mm -hmm. So chemo is one thing he's doing. Um, He's doing chemo in Subang, but he is also recommended, I think, by the same doctor to um, use, use Bula, to go and visit this traditional Chinese medicine center. Okay. And I say center because right, it is uh, in affiliation with Sunway Hospital. Mm -hmm. So it sounds to me like it's legit stuff uh, as much as I, I have my skepticism on it. So 
Uh, well, maybe that's one of the reasons why it's recovering pretty well, so we're kind of happy with that. But otherwise, I think generally a lot of the TCM or the Chinese medicine background that I get exposed to are like uh, <laughs> some random uncle like or some aunties. random friend who yeah. gave my family like a packet of this porcupine powder, which yeah. is basically what it is. It is porcupine being grinded into freaking powder. Is it porcupine? The whole thing or the porcupine spikes? Yeah. I, I, I heard of this. It's the spikes, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, this is the sort of thing which I said. Uh, basically, the porcupine spikes uh, is just a type of collagen or protein or amino acid broken down into powder form and then they claim to have so much benefit to it where they can cure cancer, they can cure tuberculosis, they can cure cough, they can cure headache, they can cure gallstones. So all these are over-exaggerated claims by all these unregulated uh, TCMs or Chinese medicine sensei. Uh. So it's actually quite dangerous where I guess if you actually read uh, a company of that to all these proper centers, right? They won't have all these overclaim products. Mm. Yeah, they will actually give certain um, certain products which they will explain to you what he has, what does it do, but they won't overclaim on it can cure cancer. Like this porcupine powder, I'm I'm <laughs> sure you will hear people saying that it can cure cancer. Imagine that curing cancer or curing a gallbladder stones or actually curing diabetes or hypertension. So if it actually works right in curing all those right, then I guess Western medicine can actually close, <laughs> close shop. shop. Yeah, yeah. And and it's not cheap, right? And it's not cheap because I was told that one small packet, uh, literally, I think like your three in one packet, the kind right, is about mm. thousand over ringgit. Yeah, yeah. And I I recently read something about um how we kind of rationalize how helpful or effective something is based on the price. So in a way, <laughs> you can argue that hey, because like I paid it's, so much for this thing, right? It got them better work lah. <laughs> So maybe, maybe in a way, some psychological or magical effect does come from that kind of rationalization. Yeah. And okay, I, I don't want to want to go too deep in this topic, but it's really very interesting to me. And another thing that I really think has always been shared is this is the last one, I guess, promise. Okay. We move on after this. Is papaya leaf. And guess what papaya leaf is used for? What what do they what do you think when people say papaya leaf? Consume papaya leaf. Um the most common one was against dengue. Yeah. Yeah. And you you explained this to me very well on why that's not the case. And I just want you to share with the audience uh, your theory on it, which I find is then logical. Yeah, because actually dengue fever is a self-limiting disease. Uh. What I mean by self-limiting is uh, with or without medicine, you, you, you get better by yourself. In, in terms of modern medicine in treating dengue, mm-hmm. what we do essentially is symptomatic um, support, which is we give uh, fluids, we give energy, which is painkillers, or um, we give um, medicine to reduce the fever, just as a supportive treatment so that you can get well. The only dangerous aspect of uh, dengue is where you can, you get two different variants of dengue af- after you get the first one. Miss, this is your second uh, bout of dengue fever. That's where the dangerous aspect come in. But any normal healthy individual, once you get dengue, within the week or so, you get better. With or without any external medicine. Um, we admit the patient into the hospital is for supportive treatment, as I said. We give fluids. Actually, if you don't give fluids, that's why some people may get dengue, right? We actually discharge them. We ask them to drink more water at home and rest. That's all only. 
And this is where the papaya leaf comes into play. Eh? So from, let's say 100 people, 50 people without any admission to the hospital, they'll get better. But during the course where they are ill, you give them this papaya leaf, with or without the papaya leaf, they still get better. And this is where the claim comes in, uh, where people say, oh, I actually had papaya leaf. This is why I got, uh, I cured, I, I'm cured from dengue and all. Yeah. I don't see any, uh, what you call that, danger in having papaya leaf while you have dengue. But the danger comes in when this person actually have severe dengue, like I mentioned just now, where you can get two variant kind of dengue. So imagine this person supposed to have proper treatment in the hospital, but because they actually believe that papaya leaf can actually cure dengue, they refuse to go to the hospital. And when they come to realize that this papaya leaf is not doing anything, when they present themselves to the hospital, it's actually too late. Yeah, one of these uh, complications from this very severe dengue is called uh, dengue hemorrhagic fever, like where you actually bleed out, you know. Yeah, so... No amount of papaya leaf can help you when you're actually bleeding. <laughs> Should be laughing. <laughs> but uh, surprisingly, uh, there's a study done by a uh, local university uh, where the papaya leaf is helping in terms of uh, dengue treatment. They actually found no significant correlation. Correlation. Okay. Yeah. So to me, I don't think papaya leaf is actually working. Uh, yeah. Papaya, papaya farmers are going to hunt for your head after <laughs> this, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that was a fast forward to what I want to talk about. Um, but one thing that I would want to explore because the intention of this podcast today is kind of more towards exploring who you are. Who you are, Dr. Lai. <laughs> and one thing that I recall very fuzzily because I remember meeting you and being closer to you when we were around, when I was around 15, 16, around that age. Okay. Uh, nearing the last few years of high school. And I one thing that we have in common after high school was the fact that we both have um, experience working in F&B. I remember you were working in a cafe somewhere where I visited once. Mm -hmm. And when I ordered something, you gave me extra meat or extra ingredients. Uh, can you bring us back to, to, when, to, to that, to that uh, past of yours? Or no? Which cafe was this again? And what were you doing there? Um... So this was after SPM, I guess, and uh, this six-month break before my A-levels, actually. So I was actually helping out with my dad in his business. But then I also wanted to have a sort of ex experience outside of working for my dad. So I actually worked, uh, applied my, uh, some bartending job in this uh, restaurant opposite my house. It's actually just opposite my house. Uh. Which, what's the name again? Huh? I can't remember the name, but it's, it was it was in, it was in central at uh, this uh, office building opposite my house. Mm. Yeah, I can't remember the name, but it serves a kind of uh, Asian fusion uh, where they have nasi lemak or spaghetti, um, fried chicken. Yeah, sort of a mix of everything, uh, mm. laksa, noodles, and all. And from when I was working there as part time. I remember actually they paid me I think an hour but four four three ringgit per hour it's less than minimum wage though, yeah, eh? yeah so I was actually preparing the drinks and then one day they found out that uh, there was not enough helper in the kitchen yeah so they actually asked who can cook and I I, I, I guess I was taking a chance uh, so I said yeah I, I can try 
So I just went to the kitchen. Uh, I just followed a the recipe. They actually have a recipe book and I just follow. I just learned from one of the main chefs there. And from then on, I actually pick up a lot of cooking uh, skills. Uh, which I, I find that's the best experience I got from the whole ordeal uh, rather than the three, four ringgit per hour. <laughs> so the experience I got was the was priceless uh, in terms of that. I mean, if you compare to three, four ringgit. Yeah, so... I learned, I actually got the recipe book myself after I, f- I quit the job there. And Stole their secret recipe. Yeah, sort of, yeah. Dude, I, this, is, this is the part of the story I didn't, I don't remember because I always thought you were working in the kitchen in a way. Hence, I think that one time or the two times that I went, you really gave me a huge portion of food. Uh. So, uh, <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, I haven't properly thanked you, but if the owner of the cafe was listening to it, he wouldn't be too happy right now. Uh. So, the reason I brought that up is because uh, you were working in the cafe. Mm-hmm. I think I was working in the same building. There was this uh, Chinese restaurant. Uh, I was working with a good friend, Wen Zi. Uh, Central, what's it called? Yeah, Wang Gong. It's called Palace. So it's very, it's nicely decorated, like the Chinese restaurant. We were all, as waiters, we were all wearing that kind of samfu kind of outfit, walk around with our black pants and black shoes. So that also extended to another job that we had in common, which I recall very clearly we were paid 27 bucks for a whole night of... Um, Serving dishes, serving food, serving drinks in banquets. Yep. yep. Uh, this is easily 10, 15 years ago, like whatever it is, right? And do you recall that? Not? Do you recall some of the atrocities that happened behind the scenes? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was in a Chinese restaurant where they specialize in uh, wedding banquets. Uh. Mm. So that was during our SPM years. I oh, remember. Shit, I got yeah. the timeline wrong. Okay. From four, from five time. Yeah. Where. It's actually a thirty ringgit, uh, thirty ringgit work for five hours, f- five hours of work. Thirty ringgit for five hours of work, and the most disgusting part about this whole job is, they actually took three ringgit as commission, because they apparently, had to fetch us or something. No, they they didn't have to fetch us. It's just a three ringgit commission for us to work there. Oh, so yeah. someone recommended us and yeah. we get a cut. La. Yeah, you got a okay, cut. But okay. the person who is recommending, who recommended us actually is the daughter of the boss or something. So that cut is actually, it's not even warranted, you know, to be honest. And three ringgit, how, how much can you earn? What, how, how do you actually feel taking three ringgit out of a 30 ringgit pay to kids like us, 17 years old, working our bus off in the restaurant? We have to actually serve hot soups we have to actually clean the the tables the chairs we have to shift everything and we actually work more than five hours because we have to throw the rubbish we have to sweep the floors we basically we are doing everything there is Mm. which i feel is more of an exploitation than actually working uh, 27 bucks i i recall i recall very vaguely that um it was also very unhygienic i remember there were instances where the chinese soup the Fortel Chang, the customers requested to have it uh, brought back to the kitchen. And the reason is because when you look inside the this bowl of soup, right? Not the bowl, the pot of soup, right? There's a huge cockroach uh, <laughs> floating on top of the soup. Uh. Yeah, so, there's a lot of instances. There's uh, the fish, which when the customer uh, turned it to the other side, it's actually been eaten bits of it away. Or we actually found cockroaches in the ice, uh, <laughs> yeah, the tub. So, and then the kitchen condition is unbearable. You, it's wet. You can see them. Um, 
like you know the bowl of soup when they're cooking the the same exact soup you're talking about and yeah. you can see the chef using a big shovel shoving and then his sweat just all <laughs> drip into the the soup yeah after working in a chinese restaurant like that i tell myself i never <laughs> go to any other wedding uh banquets again but then I, I guess it's a part of our chinese culture we couldn't avoid it I suppose the beauty of Chinese food is because it's so salty that hopefully your salt can kill all the <laughs> all the uh, dirty or disgusting stuff they throw in. Uh. Okay, the reason why I want to ask that is because um, that's kind of like a similarity we both shared career-wise, right? Um, F&B, service line, and that's during college, before college, after college, I'm getting the timeline all over the place. But beyond that, you went on to further your medical studies. Yep. And... I remember it was after your A levels that you went to, you went to Manipal straight away. Yeah, was it? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that that was when you were 17 or 18 years old. Um, 19. Because 19. A levels took two years of my life, one okay. and a half actually. Yeah. So, since 19 till now, okay, I won't disclose your age, <laughs> but that's easily 10 years already, 10 years or so, mm-hmm. give and take. You actually haven't been home. In a way, you haven't been home, home because I'm saying this because I know you were in Manipal for at least four years. Uh, Manipal for two and a half mm-hmm. and then Malacca for two and a half. And then, then when you came back, you straight away went to... Yeah, I came back. I went to Sabah mm. as a house officer for two years in okay. uh, Kota Kinabalu. It's called Queen Elizabeth Hospital. So we have to undergo these two years of housemanship training. Uh, it's mm. compulsory. Then after that, we are actually entitled to come back from Sabah. We are given a choice, sir. but I chose to remain in Sabah. Mm. And for the past three and a half years, I was there as a medical officer, orthopedic. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, to rewind back a bit to mm-hmm. your days in Manipal, right? Um, how was it in Manipal? How was it in India? It's not some place that most people would think of when they thought think about studying abroad. Yeah. So. It's scary at first uh, because when, when people talk about India, right, the first thing that comes into their mind is, oh man, India, uh, dirty or scary. You're from Klang, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I will bet when you ask, when you tell people about India, they'll be like, oh, uh, how's the curry? How's the uh, biryani over there? But it's totally different when you go there because India is actually a huge country which has so much cultural diversity in all their states, you know. So what you see here, the Indians here, actually all Tamilian, they're more from the Southern India. Where if you go to India, there's so many ethnic, ethnic uh, ethnicity over there with different cultures, you know. So it's not just all about dal, curry, or roti chana, you know. Everyone will be having different kind of, uh, what you call that, foods available. Uh. So it's just not curry, dal, and all. Yeah. So when I was in Manipal for two and a half years, we actually live like literal kings, you know, to be honest, really, because of the exchange rate and how cheap the labor was. So I was stationed in this um, university town. Uh, it's called uh, Manipal. So the biggest uh, university there is Manipal University, which uh, have a lot of these campuses. And one of the campus is called MIT, the Manipal Institute of Technology which I guess you guys know, the CEO of Google now is actually from there as well. So it's MIT from there. And then they have Manipal, uh, Medicine and all the engineering firm there. So their student collection is actually up to about 20,000, 30,000 no, in that town. Only. So everything is catered for you in a, in a way. You have your own 
um, you have what you call that 24-7 deliveries. Back then, mind you, back then there's no grab delivery and there's no uh, food panda and all. But in Manipal, they really have this system where you just call and they will send you everything. They will send you they will send you a bag of cigarettes or so. They will send you a pack of milk. Yeah. And every restaurant will have a delivery system. It's just a call away. And yeah. Then for me, um, I have actually I ha- I have a mate myself, no, and mate. The mate. Yeah, the mate cost me only around it's local Indian, is it? Local Indian. Hundred ringgit per month, and she comes every other day to clean my my place, to wash my clothes, to fold my clothes, to iron my clothes, to wash my dishes. We have a personal cook. So he's been cooking for Malaysian for 10, 20 years really. So he knows how to cook bakutes. He knows how to cook nasi lemats. He knows how to cook laksas and all. And I got my, a bike over there. So I have a personal bike washer as well. So they are so cheap. <laughs> Labor is so cheap. You... This is what I mean. You literally, you live like a king, literally. Yeah. So you have a time of your life. Even the laundry also is like one one shirt is about fifty cent. Yeah. If you really want to send to the laundry, they will they will wash and iron for. But I don't have to because I have my own maid. Yeah. Mm. Where if you compare it to coming back to Malacca, because my my medical program is a tuning program, two and a half years in Manipal, two and a half years in Malacca. Mm. When we come back to Malacca. Then you can see the huge difference. We have to do our own laundry. Yeah, you you have to have a car in Malaysia to actually travel around, to actually have proper food, to actually to actually have a life uh, in Malaysia. If without a car, you, you you cannot survive. Whereas in Manipal, oh, I forgot to mention, there's this some uh, there's this public transport called tutut or auto la, over there. Tutut is the uh, Thai version of it. Whereas in India, it's called auto. O-T-T-O. A-U-T-O, okay, auto. auto. Yeah. So basically, everywhere we have this thing called the auto. It's like a, a motorbike, but it's covered, a motorized covered motorbike. So it's a mini taxi and it's cheap. You, know? you can travel everywhere within two bucks or one buck. Yeah, all in the university campus. Dude, it sounds like you had a time of your life there. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you literally, like I said, live like a king. And then, I guess if you compare with the people studying Europe, it'll be not as pretty as it sounds, but you, you can have your own travel travel as uh, during the, the summer break. You can travel to Taj Mahal. And then if you go northern a bit to Kashmir and those areas, you can actually have snow. You can have snowboarding session. And there's so many beautiful cities and castles to explore all over India. You know? It's actually huge, you know. It's really huge, yeah. We need to we need to send this segment to the tourism board of India, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, promote uh promote the beautiful country to Malaysians here, uh and and yes, I I, I one thing that I hear from you say and that parallels a lot to Malaysia, right? Uh, I mean we talk about Malaysian food, everyone mm-hmm. we talk about the nasi lemak or yeah Malay Malaysian nasi lemak. Nasi lemak is the number one Malaysian food, uh, but you have underrated food in my opinion, like uh, of course not halal, right? But <laughs> chill fun. You got your chakwetel, you got your maggi, you got your ramli. You go you go further north, then you have your nasi dagang, then you have your nasi kanda and nasi bojari, yeah, all these different stuff. And okay. this is Malaysia. Malaysia is a freaking small potato of a country. <laughs> and you look at India, it's like yeah, 20, it's 30 times our size and being known to just have curry and tandoori, it's very, very, it's, it's a very small point of view, uh, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. After that, you came back to Malacca. Yep. 
um, you mentioned it was a big change. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I hear you say from your experience in medical, which is not something that I would expect, is that it sounds very fun. And when I hear people share about their medical experiences, at least maybe it's online I read about it, is that it's a very tough five years, six years, ten years process, right? To get from zero to whatever mm-hmm. it is where they are at. Why is it that it's why is it so easy for you, if I may put it that way? <laughs> I wouldn't say it's easy for me. Mm. I'm I'm not like the very top student in my medical college. I guess to put it in a way, I I would call myself an uh, average student. And this is where what I, I mentioned earlier comes into play, la, the moderation. To me, moderation is very important. You don't get me wrong, you you have to study in medical school. You have to memorize, you have to put your hours into sitting down and read looking into a book for hours. Huh? But you can't you can't just tell yourself, oh now since I'm in medical school, I have to just keep studying and not have a life, you know. Mm. So and at the end of the day, it's just moderation. You have to have a balance. Uh. You have to tell yourself, uh, okay, I have to study, but I have to have some some sort of fun as well. It's not a punishment or you cannot guilt, guilt drive yourself into sitting down and just study. Everything has to have a balance, I guess. If not, you just go crazy. And medical school is a long time. You know, it's five years of your life, you know. You have your peak of your youth, you know, where people is actually going out having fun. Peak of your youth. Yeah, and you are just it's your prime. Yeah, prime. And you are just stuck in this university, studying your life away. I feel it's a waste if you don't balance it out and have uh, some some fun in it. Okay, we gotta yeah. talk about that because I would assume that part of it comes from who you are, how your upbringing is, to be able to kind of juggle that really well, and. I suppose having friends who are not the type who would study 10 hours a day helps as well. Uh. Like, well, what would you attribute that to? Yeah, you, 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 you're right in some, some way. Like, because the friends you mix with is important as well. You, 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 you have a lot of cliche kind of group. Like, like you've seen the, the TVs, uh, the dramas where you have your nerdy, studious group, where you have your fun group. <laughs> You have your mm, the more what you call Malaysian way of saying kiasu group, mm. yeah. So end of the day, I I guess the the key point is the moderation and just be who you are la, Where where you think what works for you la. because some people they have to put extra effort into reading more to achieve what they the what they want in their medical school results and all. Where some people they are technically gifted. So those kind of people, they can get away with certain amount of studying. But if you think that you need more time in studying and then you have to balance your life and do more studying, then by all means, you have to do that, right? The sacrifice you have to make. The the first thing you enter medical school is you already know already you have to sacrifice a lot of your social life in attaining a amount of success in, in your medical career. So when you go into that, you have to be prepared. Some sort of sacrifice have to be made, and um, yeah, balance in life and moderation. That's why I mentioned this now. I think the word balance and moderation will someone make it into the topic or the title of this podcast today, la. Yeah, seriously, in, it, it it's important every aspect of your life, you know. Wait, so and why why um how are you like this? Because 
I think one of what what I'm trying to do with this podcast is mm-hmm. to, of course, understand you better as a friend, as a person, as a character, as a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. But I was I also understand like how did you get to the point where balance is such a built-in, uh, built-in operating system of yours? Because I suck at balance. Uh, I I find it really hard to achieve some form, any form of balance in my life. I either go all in, I burn myself out. I need to take a long rest before I recharge again and do the sprint again. And somewhat, somehow it works okay for me. Although it can be very tiring, it can be sometimes destructive. How, how have you reached this point where um, you're able to do this so well? Because one thing to be the best at medical school means you've got to sacrifice a lot. But you know that, hey, uh, in your mind, in your 22, 23-year-old mind, you know that, hey, life is short. I want to do well in life, but I also want to know how to take a step back to enjoy it. Why are you like that? Why are you like this, bro? Why are you like this? <laughs> I couldn't say. I, I, I mean, I can't explain all into one. I mean, one single reason. I guess. Mm. If you want to put it in a way, I think it's more of a trial and error. To be honest, like during my first year of medical school, I studied literally every day, you know. And then my weekends, Saturday, Sunday, I would mm. be in the library from morning eight to. 11 when library closes you know then when it comes to a point uh during my first year of medical school I actually got quite a good result uh, where i see oh i got wow a's and all then it just it, it just hits me one day like just sunday one day i was sitting down and then i was looking and i was saying why am i doing all this what's what's the purpose of all Mid-life this uh, crisis, like, bro. It, yeah it's sort of a mid youth crisis i guess then I start to just sit there and think, is it worth it? No? Like, what do I get? In the end of the day, let's say after five years, when I graduate and got my degree, what's the difference between me and the others? So what if I got an honors? I'll still get into the medical line. I'll still be in the housemanship program. Then eventually you get into medical officer. It, there's nothing more, more towards it. You, know? you don't have a, oh, honored on your forehead. <laughs> yeah, in the end of the day, you're still you're going to be a still still be a doctor right mm. so why not like what you said just take take a step back in the meantime tell yourself okay why not i do something extra during my free time like you only have the, the phrase remember the phrase where we used to always say yolo you only have one life and you only have you only live once you know sometimes it comes into play like you you, you may you you should tell yourself like Life is precious. You only have one life. And after this, you don't even know. Depends on whether you have a religion or not. You don't even know after you die where you'll be. You know? It's either if you are, you don't believe in God, agnostic, uh, I mean atheist, you just die and just wither away <laughs> in the universe. Or if you believe in some sort of religion, you go into heaven or hell or you go into some 18 steps of hell and all <laughs> Or you go into reincarnation. But you never know. You know? So why not just leave YOLO yeah YOLO okay okay yeah but you see YOLO at moderation as well you cannot just YOLO and then you go and jump off a cliff I guess so adding moderation okay 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 I like that I like that um okay where was that what was I trying to ask (laughs) (laughs) this is going to places that I didn't expect it would go to um Okay, I, I think, and one thing that I feel was very special to to your journey as a doctor, and as I said, right, you literally haven't been home since you were 19. 
Okay. Because you spent a lot of time in Manipal, you came back for a while, you went to Malacca. And yeah, you do return for a periods of like a week or two weeks or a month at most and you go to Chao again. Mm-hmm. And right now you can say, you're still in Sabah now and I think um, you're kind of working towards coming back here to kind of be permanently based in Selangor. Uh, How does it feel living abroad for so long? It came as a like a wrecking ball to you, right? Like 19 years old, poop, get out of the house and then just like travel the world. I guess in the beginning, of course, you 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 get you need some time to get used to it. Nah. It's mm. like, I actually miss home a lot. Nah. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I actually cried sometimes thinking about home nah, because it's the first time you, you're <laughs> going to, I mean, overseas and then you're alone there. Before you start making any friends, you feel really down. But over the years, you get a, you some sort of, uh, what do you call that? You get used to it nah, in a way. Mm. Then you start to be more independent. Like say when you, you when we came back from India to uh, Malacca, you start doing your own laundry. Yeah. You start cleaning your own toilet. You start cleaning your own room. You, stu- you start washing, changing your bed sheet. Yeah. Then after some time, you just know how to live independently. Like you don't, you shouldn't depend on anyone. You can do, you can function as a person. Okay. Sometimes, yeah. So kind of forced to be. You're forced to grow up, la, Yeah, you're you're forced strength. to be more independent. You're forced. I mean, you you can't just return and whine away like, oh, I'm alone. Oh, who's gonna do my laundry? At some point of life, right? You you, you just got to just uh, get your laundry and just throw in and just do it yourself, right? Nobody's gonna do it for you, right? I mean, you you still can miss home. You still wish that you can be closer to your parents or maybe your spouse or your girlfriend or anyone, your partner, you know. But in the end of the day, when you're forced into a certain situation, right, it's either you whine or be sad about it or you just deal with it. And one way of dealing with it is just anything that comes to do with it, just try to fix it. Okay, okay. Yeah. Are you looking forward to coming back now to Selangor for, I don't know, however long? Sounds like a longer period. At least the longest you would have been staying put closest to home after 17, after 15 years, right? Or whatever it is. 10 After, years. To be exact, 10 years. But okay. I think I think staying away alone for far too long is unhealthy as well <laughs> because you will get so used to be alone. No? Like for me, you see my schedule, I wake up at six at 5.30 and I start working at 6. Mm-hmm. Then after working, I go to work. Then after post-work, sometimes when I'm too free, I can actually go for a walk, an hour walk where I just clear my mind again, do nothing or listen to podcasts like maybe future <laughs> leave podcasts and then um, I will think of what I can eat that night. I'll just uh, buy my own ingredients. I'll cook. Then after that, I will either just read a, read a bit or just play some games or just chill my man out and then that's my day. But to, to some, it may sound really sad, but to me, I actually enjoy that kind of life doing stuff that I like, you know. Where now I know if I come back, it's sort of you 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 will have sort of a mixed reaction because you know, once you're back here with your partner or your family, right, you wouldn't have that kind of life anymore. You cannot just do anything you want anymore. It's more of a oh okay, I cannot I cannot just plan my day ahead without anyone in mind anymore. Mm. So it's more of a sacrifice you have to make again, like. Some people might think it's a good thing coming back to family again, but if you get so used to being alone for so long, right? 
then you actually have that kind of feeling where oh no I'm going to miss this life uh, in a way you you make it sound like and of course I, I respecting how you <laughs> feel about it right it is a huge life transition for you and it is because I I never had experience from you the longest I've been away from home is probably two three weeks when I'm traveling and all that mm-hmm. and it's always back home I live with my parents and comfortable I help her at home food is always prepared mm-hmm. don't have to pay my mortgage and all that and from my point of view I envy and I am somewhat jealous of you being able to uh, experience <laughs> life on your own like that and yeah it, it's grass is always greener at the other side, right? Yeah. So I just want to bring that up that, uh, yeah, that is something that I've never had a chance to experience. And hence, uh, that's what I want to talk about after this, right? Hence, <laughs> the idea of uh, moving out, buying my own place, renting my own place, it's, it's, to be honest, not something I can't afford. Mm-hmm. It's something I'm not looking forward to because of the uncertainty. And I mean, our, the Chinese, like, Chinese way, that's being racist. We've always been told that once you reach a certain age and you just freaking buy a house and move on and live on your own, right? That's always been the stereotypical uh, thing that one should do when they reach a certain age. Um, and and from, from your experience, you've been doing that for the past 10, 10, 10 11 years, right? And now that this huge change is going to come to come to your life, right? And the fact that you're also engaged and you're also married, like how, how are you feeling about embracing this change? Are you planning to See, do it? Like, like I mentioned before, too much of a thing is not actually a good thing. Yeah. So, what I said just now was just all the pros of living alone. Where the cons of living alone is number one, your loneliness. Uh. Mm. After a while, you just yearn for someone. We are we are human beings. We we were yearn for something. We yearn for uh, emotional support, emotional touch, or physical touch. Uh, we yearn for like what uh, Gun had just mentioned, uh, coming back to a house where there's humans, where there's your your loved ones or a well-prepared uh, meal on the table for you mm. or um, everything is clean for, for you and you feel comfortable in the house. So, in a way, for me, I, I, I'm telling myself uh, I'm actually coming back to something better than being staying alone. Right, it's it's just the way how you, uh, how you put it in the end. Cannot be too much of being alone or, there's, like I I know it's a bit cliche now already, but there's a balance to it, uh, in mm. living our life. Uh. Yeah, so, I'm I'm telling myself because I'm coming back. Uh, it's unfair for my partner and my family to be apart from me for far too long. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's a very responsible answer. Maybe it's a true it's a true answer that sounds very responsible, I gotta say. Um yeah, it's it's making it's it's making me think um the fact that I always feel like what I have now is better and that's why I don't want to change right to a certain mm-hmm. extent. But easily when you try something new, in the first few moments you're gonna suck. It's like taking a cold shower, right? Uh, the first few seconds, the worst. But once your body gets used to it, it gets okay. It feels good. Like. It feels like, hey, yeah. this is perhaps a step up from from where I have been. And I, I, I truly hope that's the case for you right? because as hard as it is for me to uh, move on and be more alone in a way, it is equally, if not more hard for you to move on and be not alone, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, some people when they they listen to me and hear me saying being alone is actually kind of fun or good, right? Yeah. Then they they'll be calling me crazy. Uh, but I'm just giving the perspective of being alone for so long, and it's actually it's kind of selfish also uh, to actually just keep thinking about yourself. You know, you cannot just say, "Oh, I like being this, I like being that." So I guess you you have to have a picture uh, where. Your parents are actually old already now, and the time with them is actually really limited now. They can, they might go anytime. You, you wouldn't know, right? And then your partner as well, the distance and all. It's really unfair to actually both of us, right? Yeah. You really committed yourself to a relationship with someone, and then you're not always there with them. I know nowadays you have all this technology where you have FaceTime, you can watch them and all, but it's actually different when. You are actually physically there with them to share a lot of things. You see, you are, when you're alone, right, you're actually missing out all these memories you can create with your partner in a way, or your family. So, like I say, it's pro and cons. Uh. Mm. So, it depends on where, how you see it. Uh, at the end of the day, you have to actually sit down, evaluate, think, and tell yourself whether this risk is this is race is actually worth it to go or to take and all. Yeah. I like, I like that because when, when you say that, it makes me think that, um, yeah, I was reading this book about just starting business and how to promote your business and all that. You can have tons of different marketing strategies. You can have the best logo in the world. Mm -hmm. You can have the best team and all that. But if you don't know exactly what you want the company to achieve, what you want to achieve maybe as a person, Ultimately, all these strategies doesn't matter, mm -hmm. and I think it's very important that you you what you what I've learned from you from what you're sharing to me is to determine like, what exactly is an ideal life for you. Yeah. And sometimes that ideal life means giving or sacrificing your current life, right? As as your as you you are doing right now with mm -hmm. uh, your yearning to be alone, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, and, okay, this is another topic, and and again, I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so keen on talking to you about this because I feel like you have a lot of um wisdom that perhaps people around our age should, should listen to, especially me, because one thing that I don't want to ask you about is, and this is a very broad question, uh, <laughs> and it's a very stupid question, but re reply or, or answer it how you may. How does it feel being freaking married? <laughs> I, I'm actually, uh, I, I said fiancé, actually it's not fiancé, I mean previously I mentioned fiancé, actually more of a legally she's, uh, my wife and my partner because mm. we actually registered but because of the COVID pandemic we're not able to go through the proper Chinese culture of this tea ceremony um, this um, this banquet where we just invite everyone for a meal and all so I'm not sure where we are yet no? we are I mean in a sense in the western modern world where if you are registered you're technically husband and wife and you can actually call the opposing family in-laws and all but for Chinese I guess culturally if you haven't go through that tea ceremony you're not a wife yet technically yeah you're still not a husband and wife I'm, 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 I think it's just me or some other Chinese uh, maybe their family also think it's the same but to be married right means there's so much more responsibility uh. I know I know it sounds cliche but yeah, because you really had your vows when you registered. You have to be with her. You have to be, law be lawyer. You have to sacrifice. 
you have to tell yourself um, to keep away from temptations and all. I mean, everyone have temptation, right? It's, mm. it's, it's cliche, but yeah, that's all the things that you, you have to tell yourself to to do or to what. And as I said, because now since we're registered, it, it would be really selfish of me to just say, oh, I'll just stay in Staba. I'll just focus on my career and finish with it. Then yeah, I'll find a day to come back. Oh, oh I, I like being alone, all that. So it's really unfair once you're really committed to someone and just do your own thing, uh, right? So it sounds, sounds to me like the first step was harder uh, because now that since you're committed, you you have a a guide and you know what you need to do already mm-hmm. because you have uh, your wife um, to be responsible to, as you mentioned. Was it hard though making that first decision, that first jump? Because knowing now that the end goal is of course uh, getting married, building a family, uh, by default, you have a direction of what to do and what to where to go, right? But before that, when I suppose the thought process of I don't get should I get proposed to her? Should I not? How how was that? How how did that whole thing go? I think um, eventually it just goes down to where you see yourself in one, two, three, four, five years. Uh, yeah, we're actually not old. And time passed so fast, you know. Yeah, the age of in the thirties and all. And you only <laughs> <laughs> no disclose, no disclose. Okay, sorry. Right. So y- you have to tell yourself uh, again, you have to just sit down, think for yourself, what do you actually want in a year or two years or three years or four or five years? You know? I know 10 years is, is a bit far-fetched, uh, but one, two, three, four, five years is actually something you can imagine or think, or think I mean, mm. write down and think of or plan what you want that next five years to be, right? So, I just tell myself in five years, what do I want my life? Where, how do I envision myself? Mm. Things that you can control, you you can actually plan. Things that you can't control, like where you'll be working, for us, uh, especially in the medical field, or um, the health of your immediate families, those are things that you can't control. But things like such as getting ready to settle down with someone at how, what age do you want to start to have a family whether do you really want a family whether do you really want to have a child or children you have to really sit down and tell yourself uh, one day just sit down and say am i prepared am i ready i know most of you will just say i, I don't think i'm ready but you never know once you go into it right like you have to tell so okay if this is what i want i should just go into it and try and, and see whether it works out or not. I think for our generation, right, we actually so lag behind because our parents uh, used to have us uh, when they are only like 20 or 21 years old, 22 years old. You know? Whereas now, we actually delay starting a family till we are 30s and 40s maybe. But of course, uh, it's not to say it's a bad thing or a good thing because some people might not even want to have a family. Mm. So in a day, day, you just have to sit down and say, do I want to have a family? Do I want to commit myself to a, to, to a partner? Where do I see myself in five years? Those kind of questions, even though people will be like, uh, what, why do you even ask yourself that question? It's, it's not something cringy or uh, what you call it, cliche or awkward. No? It's something you should really do. You know? Just sit down and say, what do I want in one or two years or three years or four years or five years? 
You don't have to be 10, 20 years. Just this five years. It's a, it's a step to begin with. Yeah. So what do you want in five years? <laughs> <laughs> what do I want in five years? Sir? For me, for me, actually, what I want in five years is like the really basic, boring family life. Uh. I want to have... I want to I want to wake up in the morning. I want to go to my job, right? If I can, maybe I can squeeze a morning workout. I don't know whether I can do it because Super I might have a family. Man. Yeah, morning workout. Yeah, so I want to go to my job. I want to work. I want to earn money for my family. I want to come back from my work to my wife to like what uh, Gan just said to a hearty, comfy meal at home to maybe a kid. I just want that kind of boring life. Uh. To, to many people, it's like scary to have this kind of life, but what I want is that kind of life, I just to settle down and be chill. Yeah. That's my 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 definition of a chill life. But to people, it would be a disaster. Like, oh my God, that's so boring. That's like a disaster to have a child. But to me, it sounds like what I want in five years. Yeah. I don't tell you, I think that is a, a super important thing that you just said, because I think a lot of what, a lot of what our generation one is very much because we're told like this certain person who's a successful person's mm -hmm. business and all that says never settle and all that life's always better if you chase for it but i think ultimately you have to as you have defined very clearly what exactly you want what exactly constitutes an ideal life right if you can do that if you're brave enough to commit to it that is actually and that should actually be your dream right rather mm. than to be defined by some stupid yep. instagram or tumblr poster <laughs> Saying shit like, uh, yeah, like you gotta have your first million by whatever, 25 or 30. I respect that. I think that is very, it's as courageous as it is to really chase for your dreams. It's also as courageous to know um, when to stop chasing for more, right? Because we've been conditioned as a, I keep saying conditioned as a society, uh, maybe through presumptions. We've been conditioned generally to just want to chase more. And yeah, thank you for sharing that. I really respect that decision of yours. So, yeah, you know what? Your wife may be, your fiancé may be really happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Now, to sidetrack, or maybe not sidetrack, this is what I would want to want to have to ask you about. Uh, shit. Silence is not a good thing in podcasts. <laughs> um, this is a very cliche question, now, but I'm just very keen to, 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 to know about what your answer would be. Uh. All right. Um, yeah, what, what is the biggest lesson you've learned so far from being a doctor? Biggest lesson. Whatever you feel like sharing based on what I just asked. Hmm. You know, you know, I have an equally cliche response to your question. Shoot me, bro. Life is short. Yeah, because you, you see a lot of um, death, dead, death in your career, then unexpected death, death especially. You see um, 20 years old wife, someone with a five-year-old kid crying to a dead husband and a dead father. Then it sorts of hit you like, wow, life is actually short. Right? So I guess the biggest lesson to take away is don't don't just waste your life away 
doing something you're not happy with mm. or doing something which you don't even have a goal with. Uh. So as I said, however, however lame it sounds for my goal in five years to have a family, to have a kid, to come back to, that's what I want. Uh, where if you have a goal in mind to have maybe be a millionaire before you hit 30, then go for it. Uh. Just take the risk, go into it and see whether it works or not. Rather than just living your life away and regret in the end of the day, like after 30 years, it's like, shit, why, why didn't I take that, that first step? Yeah, because life is actually short. No? You you actually see people in their 20s or when I was in my pits posting, you can actually see kids 5 years old, 10 years old, having leukemias and lymphomas. There's actually a, a blood, blood disorder cancer mm. and they spend nearly half their life in and out of the hospital doing nothing, going cycles of chemotherapies, having so much needles and pots inserted to their body. Mm. And when you compare yourself to them, right, then you realize, uh, wow, I'm actually quite blessed uh, to be able to make choices in life, to be able to, to have, to sit down and actually have your own goals, you know, instead of having all this uh, fate determining your, your, your life direction. You see, like all this, these uh, kids with cancer, they, they got no choice. They cannot tell themselves, oh, I want to be a doctor in the future or I want to start a family. They can't because their life is determined by their disease. And they actually die in a young age or live to an age where everything will be in and out of the hospital. They got no choice to actually determine where they want to be. Right? Sounds like Sounds like that. So by default, your your career has taught you, has helped you make a lot, help you through a lot of the important decisions you're gonna make in life, like hey, knowing what your goal is and really just relentlessly pursuing it, regardless of what people might think and what general society might say that is not good to settle and whatnot. Okay, okay. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I suppose this this is the well coming to. 5.30, so we are quite long into this podcast. Thank you so much for all the things that you've been sharing so far. Uh, I suppose one question that I'd want to ask you, and <laughs> this is again, I, a lot of these questions that I've written down here has been somewhat explored by you, but I'm just going to ask them anyway, right? What what would you tell your 18-year-old self? <laughs> Looking back now with all the wisdom in the world. To actually right mm. to be really frank and honest right, I would tell myself my 18 year old self uh, go all into crypto <laughs> <laughs> or some some sort of a share that is like top glove or anything then you'll be you'll be what you call that done for life you know you'll be actually uh, settled for life actually yeah okay okay <laughs> That's okay, a that's good a, answer. Yeah, that's a lame. I mean, not lame. Actually, it's, it's actually a really good answer. You actually be settled for life, depending on your goals or so. But if you like, you have that kind of power to tell yourself, yeah, your eighteen-year-old self, some sort of advice, right? That would be like the top advice you can give. Right? It, it, wait, this is something that I'm very keen to explore, mm -hmm. right? Hence, uh, that's why I interviewed the fire the viral guys. Okay, spoiler alert. Uh, about financial freedom because I think we place so much priority on science, maths, English, moral, 
Kamairan model, model, Kamairan model, sorry. Pendidikan model, you got to memorize every single word or word, how to, what it is. Uh, yeah, be a human yeah. being, right? Just, yeah, and if we were taught to maybe just save a hundred bucks a week, 50 bucks a week, 17, compound that at maybe 10%, 15%. I think at 30 years old, a lot of us would be much better off. Even though it's not like crypto millionaire or billionaire, we'd be much better off because like it or not, right? Having money gives you choices and having choices, you make decisions which are much better for you than making decisions out of desperation. So, yeah, sorry to interject you. I just think that as as funny as lame it is, Top Glove Crypto, I think it has, something needs to be done about that, like financial literacy, right? Which, when I have kids in the future, I would force them to take the money from them, save it for them, right? Whatever return it is that they can, and hopefully they'll be more independent, more free, more able to choose, have better choices when they reach 21, 25, right? So, yeah. yeah. Bear in mind, uh, whatever I just said for the whole podcast, right? Mm. Um, it boils down because, to be honest, um, I'm actually really blessed. Uh, me and I think Gan as well. We are born to, I would say, maybe middle or upper class family where we are, we have all this luxury, uh, given to us uh, we have our parents supporting us all this while mm. we have um, parents paying for our education so what I said in in being able to choose your goals in life so you see it boils down to having our family in our life yep. uh, and what uh, Gan just mentioned uh, having all this uh, financial uh, what you call that uh, knowledge early in life uh, which may help you in determining what you want in life later on in your career or your age uh. mm. yeah so in the end it still depends on what your goal in life is uh. some people to them money is the most important thing in life but some people they actually really honestly don't think money is the most important thing in life like for me like what I just mentioned uh, if you think that coming back to a nice family where your wife and your kid is there and you can just, what what you call that, um, able to feed them and have a proper house for them and you you are contented or satisfied with that, then that should be your goal. Like you shouldn't be more than that or sh shouldn't be less than that. So in the end of the day, it just depends on what you want in life. You shouldn't let finance or money just determine your goal if if you really think finance and money is your goal in life then go for it la. i mean there's no wrong in it but what i'm saying is you, you should explore more options la. you can be your family you can be money you can be maybe a hobby maybe you really like doing something let's say uh, like for me la, maybe you really like being a doctor then just go all in the doctor either in the government sector where you don't really earn that much money or you tell yourself, okay, in 20 years, I want to be in the private sector where I can earn more money. You see? So options can be so much. You just have to sit down one day and tell yourself, what do I really want in life? Yeah. That is very important that you get a comfortable freaking chair and you <laughs> say the word sit down probably 5,000 times in it podcast. Yeah. Sit the fuck down. And then I think that that is very important because... If we, we don't allocate or we don't schedule time to come out and really plan things, right? Mm -hmm. Ask yourself what you want, right? Life's not going to give that answer to you. Yep. Uh, and I realize that personally because uh, it's very easy for me to become very busy. It's very easy for me to take on clients, train them, drive from one client to the other, 
Uh, and then when I'm having time in between, check the stock portfolio, read some random shit on the internet. At the end of the day, I reach home, I'm so tired and uh, the next day I sleep and the next day just begins. And if I don't, personally, if I don't carve out that time, sit down and journal through some of these important questions, like what is it that you want? What do you see yourself in the next two years, three years, five years, right? Uh, I'm not going to achieve it. Uh, and I'm very happy to hear that. That's something we both kind of share in common. Uh. So your version is sit down and ask yourself these questions. Yeah. My version would be sit down as well and journal on it. So whatever works for you. Right? And I, I thank you for sharing that because I think that's super important. Uh, okay. Now, as we come to a close, <laughs> and every time I say that, we probably spend another five, 10 minutes nonetheless. <laughs> okay. As we come to a close, I want to ask you this. And because this podcast is kind of dedicated to, uh, I said people around our age, which um, <laughs> serves as a dialogue and serves as hopefully, hopefully an inspiration for people to kind of, explore some of these deeper questions nonetheless on their own, right? But what is it that you wish the older generation, which also I hope could be listeners to this podcast, the older generation could have told us when we were younger. Um, I, I know that we both come from, well, the stereotypical, not exactly stereotypical, but Asian families mm -hmm. where, of course, family values were important, making a living were important. But I feel like as much as I've been brought up well, there's a lot of things that I felt like uh, should have been emphasized more. Like a case in point, financial literacy or financial freedom or just dumping all your money into Bitcoin <laughs> 10 years ago. Uh, what, what, what else do you wish the older generation would have uh, told you, would have told you about, taught you? Well, I'm, I'm really grateful for the older generation in telling us that family, like what you said, the moral values, important. Mm. And uh, another thing it's um, studying however much um, the current generation tell, tells you that oh degree is not important you can just start an online business and get a lot of money I still think a certain uh, sort of education or paper can set you up in life uh, in a way it can be just a beginning or basic what I call a steps in your future life uh, at least you have mm. a sort of achievement uh, but if you will say what will I want them to actually emphasize when I was younger was actually not really much except for what you just mentioned, the financial okay, yeah, okay. understanding of how things or invest, investing ideas and knowledge. Uh, but we are brought up in this really Chinese, uh, what you call that, educated kind of family. So to them, I guess, they have always uh, have this um, thought uh, indoctrinated into them uh, where the way they handle finance is very conservative. They will just go for, oh, you should buy houses or you should keep money in your bank kind of uh, ideology. So I don't really blame them. They're, they're all more for safety and... They speak from experience. Risk. Yeah, it's just low risk and safety. So if you ask me what I wish they should, they will have really told me in, when I was younger, I, I really, really can't think of okay, a specific okay. topic. Yeah. Totally fine. Uh, yeah. Again, a lot of these questions are copied from a textbook. So <laughs> it's okay if you, do, if you don't have an, a proper answer yep, for it. Yep. But yeah, yeah, I, I, do, I do see where you're coming from. I think every generation has our own struggles. We have our own freaking struggle. And to learn from the previous generation is important, but to also know whether or not it applies to this 
current time is equally important. I think uh, easily just five, ten years ago, right? Basically, any property you buy, you could have doubled your money within mm. two, three years, tripled your money, in fact. And if you were to do that since 2015, your property value, I think based on today, would have gone down uh, easily 10, 20%. Um, what's that statement? Past performance should never be an indicator of future performance. And again, crypto as seen as scam by majority of the generation older than us is the best performing asset in the past five years, 10 yep. years or whatever it is. Mm. So I suppose what I'm trying to say is uh, as a reminder to myself as well is to keep an open mind uh, because times are always changing. Hence, I should download TikTok like how you did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, last question on us. Uh, okay. Use this platform here, this microphone here as some of, of a loudspeaker. What is it that you would like to tell anyone at all, whoever at all? Let's say if you have a bill, if you had a billboard you could place on Federal Highway, mm -hmm. what, what what message do you want to send to most Malaysians? Anyone at all? What message shall I yeah. put on the billboard? Huh? Yeah. Hmm. That's a, that's a really <laughs> tough question. Like like. Put you on this. I should have sent yeah. you. I should send you this uh, question to prepare ahead. I'm sorry. This is very last. No, it's, a, it's okay. I rather I rather it be this organic. Yeah, organic. Where I don't have this prepared script to answer and all right. But why is it? Why is it that you? Sorry, go ahead. I, I would say, just be grateful and blessed that on on what whatever that you have uh, in yeah. life. Yeah, because everyone. Everyone will have a different, um, what you call that, type of upbringing, family, or financial status in life. So, in the end of the day, no matter where you are in in, in those uh, status, as in whether your family is really supportive, whether your financial status is really good, right? In the end of the day, if you are actually grateful or uh, you you know where you are at life, right? You can try from there. I mean, you use it to advantage. Uh, you you either uh, work harder, study more, get some scholarship, mm. improve in life, or you try to wiggle away out of what you have at the moment uh, instead of just whining and not doing anything. Uh. I know it's a bit pretentious of me to say, oh, just work hard or just uh, wiggle away out of where you are now, right? But in the end of the day, if you don't do anything to improve where you are from, then there's not even a chance of you wiggling up from where you are currently, right? So from the first step of doing that is to know, uh, to be grateful, okay, I can, I can afford three meals a day now. I should be grateful that I can afford three million. But how do I improve myself on that? And you should mm. think that, okay. yeah. Instead of saying, damn, I only can improve I only can afford three meals a day now. Oh I'm in such a sucky position. I mean if you if you can't even what you call that uh, acknowledge where you are in life, then how do you improve from that point, right? That's why why I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah. I I think this this resonates. What you say resonates with a quote that I uh, I don't know where I heard of it, but it basically says um, first you gotta be happy with what you have, then you gotta be hungry for more. Yeah, you can have both yeah, things yeah, at the same yeah. time, right? So that's the uh, your summary of what I just <laughs> mentioned. A long 
two, three minutes. Now. I mean, we, we needed to listen to that. Yeah. Right? To, to really understand where you're coming from. Uh, and certainly it's not easy, right? And mm. side note, we both have uh, a lot of chat groups where we talk about a lot of different <laughs> shits happening in our lovely country where we uh, go from rent. And rent is a very mild way to put it. But ultimately we do it because we want the best for ourselves. We want the best for our next generation. We want the best for everyone, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. I know it's been... Yep all over I the pleasure. place. Uh, and I really, and then this freaking laptop here, if you can see through, it's a lot of the questions that I want to ask. And I asked probably 20% of it because this podcast just had a life on its own and decided to go its own direction. <laughs> so I thank you for being candid and being open. Right. Uh, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast or this sharing session, therapy <laughs> session, whatever it is, as much as I did. All yeah. right. Uh, thank you I would really wish for you to uh, come back for a part 2 in the future but of course I mean after you finish your stint in Sabah all the best don't get kidnapped by pirates brother <laughs> okay alright thanks thank, thank you. you thank you thank you Karen. this podcast is brought to you by the Nasi Lemak Diet which is as I told you is a book that I'm working on and the goal is to get it published by Q3 and a lot of it depends on my editor uh, who is really amazing but uh, there's a deadline now I'm setting it Q3 Q3 means June to September that time I'm going to publish it going to release it and The Nasir Diet is basically a book that goes against the norms of dieting it aims to teach Malaysians how to incorporate the foods they love and still achieve the body of their dreams case in point myself uh, two years ago I ate 100 Nasir Mats consecutively over 100 days and I got from 86 kg to 76 kg. I lost 10 kgs doing so. And in this book, I detail the strategies, how I did it, why it works, and how it may work for you. It may not be Nasilama, it may be anything else, right, that you love. How you can eat it very frequently and still achieve your dream body. In short, eat Nasilama or insert whatever food of choice. Get lean, build muscle, improve health, and win at life. So again, this podcast is brought to you by the Nasilama Diet. And if you're interested, I'll have a Google form down below in the description. Fill it up and leave your interest there. And when the book gets published, it gets released, I will send a, a reminder for you to purchase the book. Anyway. Yes, super rough call to action. I hope that works, Dr. Mr. Mr. Gabriel. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. Stay safe. Double mask. <laughs>